Seek podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Scanlon, your host for this season. Each week, we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with Him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord. In this episode, Dr. Edward Sree speaks about the most common symbol of Christianity, the cross. Christians are very familiar with this symbol, but do they understand what it really means and what it's all about? Keep listening to explore the meaning of Christ's cross, how it frees us from sin, and how it transforms our lives. It is so good to be with you here. And yes, Bruno, that, that was the coldest night on earth. And that was 23 years ago this very weekend. In fact, this very night. I remember it was Super Bowl weekend. Uh, and, and that's when Focus was born. And yes, we've come a long way. I want to give a warm welcome to everybody here in the St. Louis area. Really good to be with you. And of course, I want to welcome everyone, the 26,000 plus people around the world that are with us here this evening for Seek 21, the many college students on over 300 different campuses gathering in small groups, as well as so many thousands of parishioners, many moms and dads, husbands and wives, priests, parish leaders. It is such a joy that we can at least be connected together in this way. So thank you for being with us here this evening. As, as we start off, I was asked to present here, kind of at the heart of the very gospel, about the power of the cross. And, and I'd like to just start off asking the woman who was right there with her son, Mary, right there at his dying moments, to pray for us as we begin. Would you join me in praying a Hail Mary here, asking her intercession for us as we start? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, I remember as a kid growing up Catholic, I heard about the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. You hear that gospel reading every Palm Sunday, every Holy Week, Good Friday. The passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. But why is it called the passion? Well, a little bit of background here. The word passio in Latin is the word for suffering. And so that word, passio, passion, was used to describe the sufferings of Jesus. But tonight, I want to share with you another angle, another perspective on understanding the passion of the cross. And it's one that comes from Pope Benedict, something beautiful that he noted, that we can take the modern sense of passion and maybe see another perspective of what Jesus was doing on the cross that's very important. You see, the word passion can describe passionate love. And Pope Benedict describes God as a passionate lover. He said, God is a lover with all the passion of a true love. Isn't that beautiful? Do you think of God that way? Do you think of God, the God who is love? First John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. But do you see that this God loves you? He loves you personally with all the love of a true passionate love. And it's a passionate love that leads him to go all the way to the cross to remove whatever obstacles are keeping us from him, to go to all lengths possible to reunite us to him and to his heart. You know, now this idea of the cross and seeing it as as the passion of God's love for us, 
is not as common. You may hear many Christians when they talk about the cross, they may focus more on the suffering of Jesus and, and, and the punishment that he takes on. Have you ever heard that? Maybe somebody can preach it like this, you know, well, God loves us. He's amazing, but we rebelled against him with our sin. And in our sinfulness, we deserve this great punishment. The wrath of God should be poured down upon us. But our God loves us so much, he sent his only beloved son, Jesus, to die for us, to take on that punishment, to take on the wrath of the Father so that we don't have to. That's how much our God loves us. That's how the cross is sometimes explained. But does that make any sense, really? I mean, is that the kind of view we really want to have of God? Is that what the Bible really reveals? Think about this. Is this, is this what the cross is all about? Just the, the God has like this father that has all this pent up anger and he's got to unleash it on someone and, and he just unleashes it on his innocent son. I mean, think about it. If there was a dad and he had two sons and there was one son that was, had done something wrong and deserved to be punished. Uh, and let's say he's going to get a spanking. But the, the, there's another child there that's innocent. It's the, it's his brother and the innocent brother says, Oh no, dad, dad, no, no, no. Spank me instead. I volunteer to take on the punishment. And imagine the father looks at the innocent son. Then he looks at the guilty one. He looks at the innocent one. And he looks back at the guilty one. He says, I don't care who I punish. I just have to punish someone. So he starts spanking the innocent child. How does that possibly solve the problem? Is that the view you want to have of God? Is that the view we want to have of our salvation? That's not a Catholic understanding of the cross. Listen to what one of my favorite heroes, St. John Paul II. Who loves JP2 out there? Listen to what St. John Paul II said about the passionate love of God on the cross. He says, what gives the cross its redemptive value is not the material fact that an innocent person has suffered the chastisement deserved by the guilty and that justice has in some way been satisfied. No, the, the, the saving power of the cross, quote, comes from the fact that the innocent Jesus, out of pure love, pure love, entered into solidarity with the guilty and transformed their situation from within. You see, the catechism goes on to explain that it's love, it's love to the end that confers on Christ's sacrifice its value as redemption and reparation. It's not about how much blood was shed, how much suffering was endured. Now, that's a key expression of that love, but it's at the essence, it's love. That's why St. Catherine of Siena, one of my favorite quotes from this wonderful saint, she said, the nails, the nails could not have kept Jesus on the cross if love had not held him, if love had not held him there first. The nails could not have kept Jesus on the cross if love had not held him there first. Now, how does the cross work? How do we make sense out of the cross? What is it really all about? How do we see the amazing love that God has for each of us? You know, I, I think about, you know, think about a relationship where you hurt someone. You ever do that? You, you hurt someone you love. Maybe your, your mom, your dad, you hurt your brother, you hurt your roommate, you hurt your friend, your spouse. I think about in my marriage when there's times when I, I hurt my wife. I feel badly when I do that. Maybe I say something or I have a tone of voice. Maybe I, I just didn't think things through and affected it. And when I, I experience that, I, I experience that sorrow, I want to do something. I want to express my sorrow to her to make up for the lack of love that I should have shown her. So, so I might say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I'm so sorry. Sometimes when it's, you know, I, I've hurt her more, more deeply. 
It's not enough just to say sorry. I, I, maybe I, 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 put, I hold her hand. Maybe I put my arm around her. I want to express I, I'm sorry. I want to do something. Maybe I go out when it's a bad day and I've done something really bad. I've really hurt my dear wife. Maybe I'll go buy her flowers or, you know, go get her some chocolate or perform some act of service. But the idea is, you know how this works in your own life. When you do something, you hurt someone you love, you want to do something to offer a gift of love that makes up for your own lack of love. That's what God did for us. Because you see, we sinned, we rebelled against the all-holy, all-powerful God, the infinite God, whose majesty and glory and honor is infinite, and we're just finite human beings. We can, there's nothing I could do to offer a gift of love to make up for all my sins. There's nothing I could do. And besides, I owe God my life already, so what could I possibly do to make up for my lack of love? So there's this infinite gap between us and God because of our sins. But God loves us so much. As Pope Benedict said, God is a lover with all the passion of a true love. He is so passionately in love with us that he sought us out, even though we turned away from him. He came down and became one of us in Jesus Christ. He took on our humanity. And as a, a, a true member of the human family, he can offer a gift of love on our behalf. He can represent all of us and offer a gift of love to the Father. But his gift of love, because he's also fully divine, his gift of love has infinite value. This is how the cross works. The focus on the cross is not how much blood was shed. It was how much love Jesus put into it. That's why St. Amsal is often quoted as saying that not just one drop, just one drop of Christ's blood was enough to cover all the sins of all humanity. Now, what I want to do is I want to bring you in to the story of this passion of love at the very beginning of the passion. And I want to just look at a, a certain scene, a certain moment there that, that, that reveals the amazing love that God has for us. St. John Paul II said, when you look at Christ in the passion, you see the fullest revelation of God's love for us. So I want to take you right there with me right now. We're going to go right there to the Garden of Gethsemane. I want you to imagine being there at the agony in the garden. Imagine being Peter, James, and John. Jesus pulls you aside. He pulls you close in this great moment of trial. And you see Jesus do something maybe you've never seen him do before. The Bible tells us that Jesus falls to his knees. We never read about Jesus' posture in prayer. We read about him pre praying all the time, but we never read about him in his posture of prayer until right here in Gethsemane, we see him, he goes on his knees and then he falls on his face and lays prostrate. This is intense. Whoa, the position of total surrender. What's happening? We've never seen Jesus pray quite like this. And then he turns to you and he looks you in the eye and he says these words, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. What do those words mean? It describes someone pushed to the brink of suffering. The, the most amount of suffering they could ever, ever endure. But it's used in the Old Testament to describe a particular kind of suffering that may be the worst kind, more than physical suffering. In the book of Sirach, chapter 37, verse 2, this expression is used this way. Is it not a grief to the death when a friend is turned to enmity? Sirach 37.2, is it not a grief to the death when a friend is turned to enmity? What kind of sorrow does this expression describe? A grief, a suffering, a great sorrow to the death when a friend becomes an enemy. What was Jesus thinking about there in the garden? What was he praying about? What was he sweating like drops of blood for? 
Was it because he knows, oh, I'm, I'm going to have those nails in my hand and I'm going to be facing all those scourging? Is that, is that what Jesus was thinking about? I'm sure that was, that was in the background. But at the forefront of, of his mind, he wasn't thinking about himself. He's thinking about his friend who's coming there to the garden right now to betray him. The friend who's about to turn to an enemy, Judas. He loves Judas so much. And in fact, when, when Judas comes, what does Jesus call Judas? Judas is about to betray him. And Jesus says, friend, friend. He calls him friend and he calls him by name Judas. It's as if like one last attempt to try to turn Judas's heart. Do you see how much God loves us? You know, uh, there's this, I'm sure all of us, we've been in moments in our life where we've felt like Judas. Maybe we, we turned away from God. We didn't live the way God wanted. We've lived in sin. Our God, our Jesus isn't there pointing to accuse us. He's reaching out constantly, friend. And he calls you by name. And he calls you friend. This is such grief that we turn away from him. He just wants us to come back. He's not accusing. He's not pointing fingers. He just wants you just to come back to him, just to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring it to confession. This weekend, my friends, the power of the cross Turn to Jesus, whatever sin is weighing you down, whatever you've been rationalizing, making excuses for, or whatever you've been feeling so ashamed by, Jesus just wants to liberate you from that. He calls you by name, and he calls you friend. That is the amazing love of our God. Another thing that happens on the cross, or, or there at the Garden of Gethsemane, remember that prayer Jesus prayed? He says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. Do you remember that? I remember as a kid wondering, is Jesus having second thoughts? <laughs> is he thinking of backing out at the last minute? I thought he came to save the world. What's this all about? Well, what the church is always taught is that this is a prayer expressing Jesus's humanness. He's truly human. And so he sees like well, all that's going to happen. He knows that he's about to be betrayed. He's about to be condemned, spit at, mocked, scourged, and crucified. And if he's truly human, I don't know about you, but that's not something an ordinary human being looks forward to. Is that on your bucket list? I can't wait. I hope someone betrays me and crucifies me. You know, if Jesus is truly human, that kind of suffering is repugnant to human nature. So that's what he's expressing in this prayer. But he's also fully divine and his human will is perfectly united to the divine will. And that's why he says in the same breath, but not my will, may your will be done. You see, Jesus looks suffering square in the eye. He sees the difficult thing he's about to have to endure out of love for us, and he embraces it. He embraces it. You know, Jesus models for us what we're called to do when we have to do hard things. Are there difficult things that God's asking you to do right now in your life that maybe you've been sensing he really wants you to spend more time with him in prayer, but you're like, I'm too busy. I've got too much going on at work, too much going on in my family. Uh, I've got too much going on with my schoolwork, whatever you know, state of life you're in. Do you ever sense that, that God's asking you to give more time and, and it's hard, but you, you don't know what to do. You, you hesitate. Jesus didn't procrastinate. He didn't hesitate. He didn't delay. He saw the hard thing God wanted him to do, and he embraced it. What is God asking you to do? Are you willing to do the hard? Are you willing to do the hard? That's what Jesus models for us in his passion. And it's all out of love. If you're a student, you've got some paper to do, and you just keep delaying it, do the hard. You're, 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 you're in a relationship, and you know that the dating relationship isn't working out. You deep down know this is not the one, but you keep delaying it and kicking the can. No, no, do the hard thing. Break up with her. Free her so she can find the man that God wants for her. Be a man. Do the hard. Or maybe, maybe you 
want to ask a girl out, but you're nervous. You don't know what she's going to ask. Just do the hard thing. Ask her out. Maybe there's a show you're watching. There's something you're doing in your life that you shouldn't be doing. Maybe there's a show you're watching on Netflix or on HBO, and everyone else is watching it, but deep down, you know, I don't, I don't know if a Christian disciple should be doing this. You wouldn't watch this if Father were there with you. And what are you doing? Putting those images before your soul. Do the hard. Be different. Don't put those images in your soul. Maybe there's a problem at work and you just need to address it. You have to have a crucial conversation with someone. Do the hard. Maybe there's something going on in your family and you need to address something with one of your kids. Do the hard. Are you willing to be like Jesus? I remember one of my kids, I have a teenage son and his younger brothers, I don't know what was going on. They were doing a chore or something. And I overheard the older brother say to the younger ones, hey guys, come on. Don't you know what it means to be a man? To be a man means doing hard things. And I remember going, Where is that coming from? That's cool. (laughs) But that's true. To be a Christian man or woman of God means doing hard things. Jesus looked the hard square in the eye and he embraced it out of love. Now, last thing I want to focus on here is we see Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for us and our sins are forgiven. But this idea of forgiveness of sins is only half of the gospel. Too often, Christians just focus on, oh, Jesus died and and we're forgiven. But I want you to know, Jesus wants to do so much more in your heart than just forgive you of your sins. That's amazing. It's spectacular. But that's only half the gospel. Jesus doesn't just want to pardon us like a judge. He wants to heal you like a physician. He wants to heal your weaknesses, your fears, your wounds. He wants to heal you, not just pardon you. He doesn't just want to forgive us. He wants to adopt us as his children so that we can become a part of his supernatural family. He didn't just die for our sins. He rose from the dead to fill us with new life. He he ascended to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And as Sister Miriam talked about last night on opening night, we find our identity in how God views us, how the Father views us. Jesus did so much more than just come to forgive us of our sins. He doesn't just, you know, if all Jesus did was die for our sins, we we would be forgiven and we'd have a nice, peaceful relationship with God. There'd be a, a certain reconciliation. We would coexist with God. But God wants to do so much more than just coexist with us. Do you ever see those bumper stickers, coexist? I just think they're kind of funny. Coexist is if that's like the great secular ideal. Ooh, in a secular world, we can coexist and tolerate each other. My friends, you are made for so much more than mere tolerance. You're made so much for so much more than mere coexisting. You're made for love. I mean, imagine if you asked me, hey, Dr. Shree, how, how are things going with you and Beth? I said, oh, it's amazing. We have an amazing marriage. We, we coexist and we tolerate each other. No, we're made for so much more. We're made for love. And, and, and on our hearts, we long for union with God, not just to coexist with God, just to be forgiven and pardoned. God wants to unite us heart to heart. He wants to transform us. And that's what he does. Let me close with this analogy. We use this all the time in focus. It's an analogy from the early church about the amazing transformation God wants to do in your soul. 
This is the power of the cross. The early church talked about if you have an iron rod and you, you put it into fire, what happens? The iron rod starts to take on the properties, the characteristics of fire. It starts to maybe become very hot. It changes color, becomes orange or red at the end. It starts to emit smoke. It takes on the characteristics of fire. It's still an iron rod. It's not fire, but it takes on the properties of fire. That's what happens to your soul. That's what God wants to do through the power of the cross and his sending his spirit into your heart. Is, is, is we are, if we are put into the furnace of the Holy Spirit, if you will, our human nature becomes healed, perfected, and transformed. We begin to take on the characteristics, the properties of Christ, of God. We begin to love as God loves, to be patient as he's patient, to be generous as he's generous. That's what Jesus wants for us. He wants to transform our hearts. St. John Paul II said, the Holy Spirit is the divine artist and he wants to paint the image of the sun in your soul. My friends, let the divine artist work in you. Don't just settle to be forgiven. Go to Jesus at the cross. Go to him in confession. Go to him in the Eucharist and allow the divine artist to perfect you and work a masterpiece so that you can be changed into his glory from one degree of glory to another. Thank you so much, my friends. You're in my prayers. God bless. Thanks for listening, friends. To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek 23 in St. Louis, January the 2nd through the 6th. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.